Good morning. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm typically really excited to get to teach from God's Word, but I'm especially excited today because I think this, uh, um, I think this story uh, that we're going to read about and uh, the stuff that we'll pull out and think about is, is really, really cool, really exciting. So um, I'm excited to do it. Uh, let me, let me read the, the passage. We're in John, in John chapter 8, the, the first 11 verses. I want to read those for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into it. Um, it says, They each went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elder ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. So last week, we talked about, um, we, we talked about the, the stunning beauty of God. And that, that we're to be stunned by how beautiful and how majestic and how wonderful he is. We, we talked about, uh, remember, like the emerald rainbow and, and the voice like a trumpet and the crystal sea and, and the beautiful stones and and the voices of angels and the voices of elders in, in perfect white robes and laying their crowns at the feet of Jesus, who is able to open the scroll. And, and so much glory and so much wonder and so much beauty came from the life of Christ. And, and we talked about being stunned by Jesus and his beauty. But this morning, I want us to be stunned by the grace of Jesus. And it's, it's beautiful. And, and the punchline is the last verse, neither do I condemn you, go, and from now on, sin no more. That is grace. It's, it's scandalous grace. And, and we're going to talk about this passage in some familiar ways this morning, but, but I think we'll probably go to some, some new ways that, that we haven't looked at it before. And, and, and that idea is, is the scandal that, that this story talks about. It's, it's a scandalous scandalous story. And, and to get our minds thinking in that line, in, in that direction, let's, uh, let's chat this morning uh, about scandals. What, think of, of some scandals in, in your lifetime that, that we have been subjected to or been made aware of. Um, not rhetorical, give and take, feedback. What, what are some, some, when I say name a scandal, we're playing family feud here, name a scandal. See if you can get the number one answer. Bill Clinton. All right, yeah, that was, that was definitely a scandal. 
Absolutely. Other, what's that? Say it louder. Benghazi, yeah. Big time. We're just destroying the Clintons this morning, aren't we? <laughs> um, what else? What are some other scandals? Deflate gate. I think, by the way, I think it's a scandal that we have the suffix gate to everything. It's, talk to you later about that. Um, but yeah, deflate gate. You guys don't know. That's when uh, the New England Patriots deflated footballs to make it an advantage to them, and Tom Brady is suspended for it. Um, uh, what, what, are other, what are other scandals that you can think of? One more. Somebody come up with, I know there's literally hundreds of them. Jeff, are you looking them up on your phone there? <laughs> Jerry Sandusky. Yeah, Jerry Sandusky was, you guys know who that is? He's the Penn State assistant football coach who was accused of uh, inappropriate activity with uh, young boys. And, and more to that was that he had a foundation whose job it was to serve young boys, which he eventually preyed upon. And it took down a, a massive amount. Sean? Yeah, the Iran-Contra. Yeah, that, now we're going back. We're going to... We, we dominated the, the left, now we're going to dominate the right. Iron Contra was Reagan, and, and that administration was selling uh, weapons to Iran illegally. Uh, scandal. There, here, here's, here's one that kind of points, put us, puts us right in the middle of, of where I want to talk about from Jesus' scandalous grace. What if I said the name Bill Cosby to you? What does that make you think of? Um, and the scandal, I, I heard this week... I was listening to a radio show. There, a uh, couple of guys, a couple of TV critics just uh, wrote a book about the top 100 American television shows of all time. And this, these two authors were on the radio, um, and they were having a conversation with the radio host. And the radio host says, what do you do with, with The Cosby Show? The Cosby Show was, was an incredible show. It, everybody loved it. It, it, was, it was one of the top shows of all time. But, but now what's happened with Bill Cosby, does, does that change anything? And the guy's like, I just don't know what to do with that. I don't know where to, where to put that, that notion, that idea. What, what, do, what do we do with the Cosby show? And, and he said, before it was happening, I was watching, going back, watching the old episodes with my kids because there's always a teachable moment in every one of those Cosby Show episodes. I was walking through this with my kids, and we were talking about it. We were using it as, a, as an opportunity to think and to parent and all that stuff. And then this happens, and I had to, I had to stop. I had to not do that anymore. And, and also, I didn't want to write about the Cosby Show. I didn't want to rank the Cosby Show in the top 100 shows of all time because it might make people not want to buy this book because they're so offended by what he did. And so, and I, I was struck by that. Like, I was so offended by what Bill Cosby did, I'm not going to rank him in my book because people might not buy the book because of it. But when you just think about just the sheer art of what was happening, The Cosby Show has to be one of the top 100 shows. It was highly rated, highly, like, decorated, great show. But now because of what's happened, it's become a scandal, and nobody wants to touch Bill Cosby. So much so that he won't even rank him in, in, his, in his book. And that's the picture of what's happening here in this story. This woman is so scandalous, and what she's done is so scandalous 
that no one should want to touch her because of its, its reputation suicide. But Jesus defends this woman. Let's look into the story here. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, reading from verse 1. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. I want want you to see that picture right now. Jesus is teaching in the temple. Sometimes we, we know what's coming, and we forget the details of the story. Jesus is teaching in the temple, like Right now, I'm teaching in our, this church, all right? Very similar to what's happening. Jesus is teaching in the temple. Likely, there were uh, more people there because it was Jesus, after all. So Jesus is teaching in the temple, and all the people came to them, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. Um, there is, I've been thinking and reading a lot about this, this concept of, of story, and uh, there, there's an element of story that's used quite frequently called an anti-hero. You guys know what an anti-hero is? Um, Walter White is an anti-hero. Um, uh, the, the Godfather trilogy. Um, Michael Corleone is, a, is an anti-hero. He's the hero of the story, and everybody is rooting for that hero, Yet the hero is, is morally failing or courage failing. It, it's, it's a literary device used to, to get the, the reader, the author, the, or the, the reader or, or the audience to connect with someone who they probably have a little bit of, like, not so sure. That's, that's anti-hero. And for here in this story, Jesus is the hero but this woman is the anti-hero. Because we come to the story of, of Scripture, we want to be on Jesus' team, and we want to be against those who Jesus is against. In this story, the scribes and the Pharisees. And because Jesus is, is defending this woman caught in adultery, she becomes the anti-hero. So we can, because she's the anti-hero, we can, we can look past her surface immorality to the point the story is trying to make. But I don't want us to do that. I want to point out that this woman has done something really bad. And, and the likelihood is that scholars believe from the language that this woman had literally been caught in the act of adultery and was removed from that place, bedroom probably, and brought there as is and put in the midst, which is unbelievable to think that that could happen here in this moment. That a, and, and what would our response to a woman who would come in and be seated right here? Naked and dirty. Right here. The grace of Jesus is scandalous here in this story. And, and don't don't feel a lot of empathy towards this woman. She has likely destroyed a family. Uh, a wife has had her husband taken from her by this woman. 
Maybe this, and, and the likelihood is this, this wife has children. Uh, a family has been destroyed by this woman. This is, this is not like, I, I don't, I want us to see her as the anti-hero, not as the hero. Just because Jesus is, is sticking up for her doesn't mean that she's not a woman who's done something really terrible. Um, she's been caught in the middle of adultery. Uh, but Jesus... That's like, this is a really awful thing has happened, but Jesus. I want to read this quote to you from Matthew Henry. In this, his engagement with her, he attended to the great work which he came in the world about. And that was to bring sinners to repentance, to destroy, not to save. <laughs> To save, not to destroy, but to save. Thank you. I'm glad some of you are paying attention to that. That's great. It makes me feel good. Um, all right, so let, let's, let's bring that back in here. There is the point of Jesus' coming to this earth is not to destroy or condemn, it's to save. And, like, we have an enemy who's a liar, who wants to destroy us. He's coming to steal, kill, and destroy, and we have a hope, and he's Jesus, and he's come to bring us life. And, and that's, I want you to see the wretched behavior of this woman. It, what she did was terrible. But Jesus has come to engage with her. The purpose of grace and mercy is to bring sinners to repentance. Follow on with me to verse 4. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5. Now in the law of Moses has commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? We've heard of this, this concept of stoning and I want you to get that picture. This is how, like, adultery in our culture would be bad, right? Nobody wants to connect, like, it's, it's bad. We don't need to, to culturalize this act. But in this culture, it's so bad that the penalty is to gather people in a circle and put the guilty party in the middle of the circle and start throwing rocks at them until they're dead. That's a, that's a massive thing. Um, the, the penalty to stone someone, and this is what she's, she's done. And Jesus has engaged with this woman. Verse 7, and kind of the, the hinge of the story. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Um. I think it's, it's kind of interesting that, that Jesus is completely ignoring them. He goes, he just starts, after this, he starts just writing in, in the dirt. Um, and, and they're, they're okay, what, what do we do now? And they all leave. Um, imagine, I, I told the story about Bill Cosby and the radio show and all that. Because the guy said it would be suicide for our book 
for us to praise Bill Cosby in any capacity. And, and that same idea is, is Jesus here. This is scandalous. The grace that Jesus is showing to this woman, he's doing it at great cost to himself. It's, it's cultural suicide for Jesus. Um, but I, I, I want to engage us with, with this thought, what's happening here. Jesus is, is figuratively condescending himself in this situation. But he's, he has literally condescended himself. to. And, and think about, remember last week, and I've already talked about it this morning, is that Jesus, pre-incarnation, pre-Christmas, Jesus is in heaven receiving praise and glory and honor and worship and only being affected by the beauty and majesty and wonder and glory of what we talked about last week. It's beautiful, something that we hope for, we long for, that will be ours one day. The voice of trumpets and and the sound of angels singing constantly and the beautiful sights that this world can't see, can't give to us. The colors, the the majesty, the, the splendor, the incredible nature of what Jesus had always existed in He's now left that to come here and give himself to this woman who is cultural suicide to to even speak to this woman, let alone befriend her. This is wonderful, beautiful, scandalous grace, and it's it's changing. Do you see the the beauty of, of Jesus willingly condescending himself to come and align himself with this woman. Scandalous grace. An unknown Puritan in a book of Puritan prayers writes this, let me never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the one sinned against. Let that one breathe for a second. I've tried to paint the picture of the ugly nature of her sin and how the fracture goes to, to her family, to, to, the, to the adulterer's family, the man's family, and to his wife and their children and, and the people that, that witnessed this in the congregation that day. The, the splinter of the effects of that sin are profound, so profound that they're willing to kill this woman. But... The heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin that's committed, but the one the sin is committed against. That's that's powerful and and I hope rocks us to our knees. Think about your sin. And we spend so much time, I think it's a, a, a work of the devil in us and around us and affecting us that we spend so much time dealing with our sin and trying to figure out a way to stop that sin and, and being broken about our sin. And not nearly as much, at least not appropriately as much, time seeing the Jesus that we've sinned against. And that brings grace even, even higher, right? It's just incredible. Her sin is not just against a wife, a husband, children, or the law. It's against holy God. Her sin is against holy God. And what does holy God say to her in that moment? 
It's incredible what he says. He says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Let's go back up to verse 9. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman. I want you to see the story, the physical nature of the story. Jesus in a church with a broken, awful, wretched, sinful human being. Left alone. And Jesus stands up and says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one to condemn you? That's incredible. Is there nobody left here to condemn you? Seriously, come come here. Listen, this is incredible. At the end of the day, at the end of mankind's life span, the end of the world, you, face to face, alone with Jesus, who's there to condemn you? Who? Like, this is a story, a physical event that happened, but it's teaching a beautiful metaphor here, a beautiful future reality. Your condemners will be gone, and you'll be left with Jesus. You standing there in the middle. She hadn't cleaned herself up yet. Still naked. Still in the middle of her sin. Still feeling her condemnation from those around her who had been staring and dragging. Think about, like, she had to be drugged physically, kicking and screaming likely, to this place. But they're, they're gone. They're gone. Like, why... Why would we willingly subject ourselves to condemnation? Grace is it's so unbelievable. And I don't mean unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean like, wow, unbelievable. I, like that's incredible. It's profound. And then what does Jesus say? After she realizes that everyone is gone, it's just her and Jesus. Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. Don't do that anymore. And this is where, like, it's, it's difficult. It's hard to wrestle. How do we, what do we do with this in our lives? Because I promise you, that woman went and sinned again at some point. Does that nullify the grace that came in this moment? I promise you, each of us in this room will sin gravely again, probably today. What what do we do with Jesus there? Does that nullify this moment where we're face to face with him? I don't think so. But it's hard to to comprehend and think through. But the beauty is grace. There's more. And it's it's so incredible. But I wanna I wanna close with with this thought. Um, that there's there's one last thing to consider. What does Jesus say to her? He says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Notice 
the order of that. He tells her to do two things, or he, he speaks two things here. I don't condemn you, now don't sin anymore. He doesn't say, don't sin anymore and I won't condemn you. That's, like, that's, that's, the, that's the gospel in a sentence. This is your Savior. This is your Jesus. This is offered to you fully and freely. And, and the beauty of all of this is we're, we get to engage with a condescended Christ to come to this earth knowing fully that he would die on the cross at the end of the day, at the end of his life, and sinners would come before and behind him but his like, grace is so beautiful. And, and we're stunned by the scandalous nature of his grace. Um, let me uh, shut up and pray. God, I thank you so much for this story. I thank you for the beauty of your gospel. Lord, I pray for people in this room who are wrestling with condemnation. I pray for people in this room who are wrestling with being the condemner of sin. God, I pray for my pharisaical heart and mind. God, there are so many things in this, in this passage for us to connect with. We are the one bringing the sinners to the feet of Jesus. We are the sinners at the feet of Jesus. But God, would you, would you weed all of that out and show... Leave us with only Jesus, who speaks not condemnation, but grace. And God, may that cause us to rise and sin no more, God. May this not be a license to do whatever the heck we want to do. God, please change me, change us all, that this is not just a license to do what we want, but instead to be engaged with the beauty of your wonderful, extravagant, scandalous grace and be changed by it. Please, God. And God, then may we take that and, and boldly speak that story to those around us, Father. May we speak it in community within this church. May we speak it in our, in our workplaces. May we speak it everywhere, God. May we speak of your glorious, scandalous grace. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his wonderful and powerful name that I pray. Amen.